Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. I want to just pose a question. It's not really a trick question, but the foundation of God's throne is based is built on or based on what? The foundation of his throne is based on what? Righteousness and justice. Psalm 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Now, God is a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He is love. He is the very essence of love. But some people confuse the love of God and don't understand that the very foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. The law of Moses was given to show us that we could never, we could never come up to the standards of God. It was impossible. It, just, it, it showed us our own helplessness and the need for a savior. And that's, and, and that's why... Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh and came into the world. He so loved the world that he gave. Now, we often talk about love, but don't understand that true love is sacrificial. I'm going to say that again. True love is sacrificial. That's God's love. We kind of have this warm, squishy feeling. You love me, I love you. It's, it's just, everything feels good. And if it doesn't feel good, then that's not love. Well, no. <laughs> Greater love has no man than this. Then he lays down his life for his friend. That means he gives it up. Christ went to the cross. He laid down his life for us. He didn't try to preserve it, didn't try to save it, didn't try to get out of it. You know, when, when Peter took out the sword and chopped off the servant's ear of the high priest, you know, Jesus said, put away your sword, you know, for this reason I came into the world, that he was going to lay his life down. And that's the essence of true love. I mean, we really need to take that to heart, that if we're going to walk in love, it means walk in sacrifice, Walk in self-denial. Appreciate others more than ourselves. And if we give ourselves to that, you actually find yourself. You actually walk in a, in a, in a, in a joy and a fulfillment of life. The other way of just satisfying self is called selfishness, and it's just utterly fruitless and leads to depression, and you just never get anywhere. But when you actually give yourself to a life of service, you find yourself. This is also, so it's Sanctity of Life Sunday, and tomorrow we are celebrating Martin Luther King Day. Martin Luther King once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You know, we as, as people of, of, of God recognize that it's, uh, 
in Acts 17, 26, that the Lord made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he's, a, he's determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries in which they dwell. I've often quoted that, the, the pre-appointed times and the boundaries. Like God has set us at this time. Like we're not here by accident. You live in 2022 by God's divine design. You, you're here in this time and actually you're here in this greater New York area right now by God's divine design. You were pre-appointed for it. You were pre-appointed. Some, some of you thought, no, I chose to move up to New York or from wherever. God pre-appointed it. You're here by his divine design. But the other thing is, this is from one blood, every nation. Now, you have to understand, when, when the Bible was written, when Paul was quoting the nations, it's not like nation states that we understand today from all nations, the United States, Britain, Soviet Union, Nigeria, or you know, fill in the blank. Uh, there weren't those nations. It was referring to ethnos or people groups. From one blood, every type of people group was created. We all have our origins in the same, the same bloodline. We came from Adam. And that's why sin came on all of us. And that's why we needed a savior, a second Adam in Romans. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam, the second one that was born of God, and, and we, we now trace our lineage to Christ. But it's that one ethno. So any, anywhere we see injustice, and you know we're, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day because he recognized injustice in our nation and he addressed it. He addressed laws that were unjust. And, uh, and, through, and he went through great persecution to, to, to promote justice, you know, and we should all partner with what he, what he did, and we do, and that's why we celebrate Martin Luther King Day, and I'm, I'm you know, glad to, to also celebrate what he accomplished. Um, in his I Have a Dream speech, he said, I have a dream that one day the Red Hills of Georgia, on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. You know, we saw a prophetic fulfillment when our good friend Matt Lockett and Wolf Ford came here and they shared the story of how their descendants came from a Lockett family to Ford's were slaves within their family. And now both of them are in ministry together. They've come and shared. How many remember Will Ford coming with the kettle pot they used to pray under? They're uh, in negotiations now to turn this whole book into a, a, a movie. But it's, it's, it's a modern-day fulfillment of words spoken by Dr. King that were probably prophetic words, you know, under the anointing of God. And, uh, and as, we, as we continue, you know, we can, we can legislate civil rights laws. We're all, all, you know, the Constitution, it says that we're all you know, been endued with our creator with certain self, you know, unalienable rights, et cetera. And then in the 64 Act, there was, but we recognize over the past couple of years, as we've seen divisions, et cetera, that it, 
legislation doesn't address the hearts of men. There's only one thing that will really address the hearts of men because this is a heart issue. We can pass laws and we should pass laws. It should be, and we should be offended at injustice, like righteously indignant uh, at, in, at injustice and stand up for justice wherever we see injustice. I mean, that's the foundation of God's throne. Um, but there's only one way to deal with the heart, and that's the proclamation of the gospel. So when Merely comes up here and talks about, you know, we're going to resurrect the go, or I don't know what we're calling it now, the, our evangelism outreach, and we're going to do these encouragement booths, it's a recognition that only God can change the heart. It doesn't mean we give up. It doesn't mean you don't be offended at injustice and do what's in your earthly power, vote appropriately, do the things in, in sort of civil society that we can do to make sure there's a level playing field for justice, regardless of ethnos. Um, but um, it's only the gospel that changes men's hearts. You know, we live in a culture right now that doesn't highly esteem all human life. And that, that, that's why, you know, over the last couple of years, you, you saw the, our, the race tension and issues because in, the, in the, the statement, black lives matter, of course black lives matter. And then people equivocating. But th the reason you have to understand that became a term is because there were places in society where people were not uh, appropriately appreciating that all life is precious. And that gets to even what we were sharing today, sanctity of life. Um, again, Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. If we don't value human life all the way from the womb to the tomb, then we've then, we're, then we're, we're tolerating injustice. And, and that is, that's, a, that's a threat to all of us. And turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. I want to kind of lay out the biblical reasons why we take a very strong pro-life stand. And that means all life, from the womb, from the moment of conception, all the way until we go to be with the Lord. Isaiah 9, beginning of verse 2, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 6 and 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom 
to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know, it, it's, it's interesting that God chose to send salvation. He, you know, he could have came, come into the world any way he chose, right? He's God. But he chose to come in by being born and conceived in the womb of Mary. And so his, his human experience was just like all of us from the very moment of conception till the day he gave up his, the ghost uh, on the cross. Turn with me to John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3, and then again I'm going to skip down to verse 14. Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Do we understand who we're talking about? This is almighty. Nothing. Without him, nothing was made that was made. He is the creator. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the almighty son of God, came into the world through conception in his mother's womb. The same is all of us. Since Jesus came into the world through conception, we value life from conception to death. Psalm 139, beginning of verse 13. I'm just laying out some biblical foundations. And the reason I'm doing this is because you, we've grown up in a culture that says you don't have to value life in the womb. And, and we start by otherizing. Bill, what do you mean, otherizing? If you can call somebody something other than human, then it's okay to, um, it, it somehow bypasses our minds and says it's okay to disrespect or dishonor or abuse them. So instead of calling a baby in a womb a baby, we call it a fetus because we don't want to confer on it certain rights. Um, you know, when we, when the people of a, of a darker skin pigmentation, it's okay to enslave them. Why? Because somehow they're they're not human. They're not. You know, we we had constitutional amendments. You know, saying, you know, slaves were only three quarters of a person at, at the founding of our our nation. I mean, that we had to fight a civil war and shed blood because of all of the innocent blood that was shed in our our land. Uh, we paid a great price as a nation because of that. And what happens is when you otherize people and make them less than, then you feel okay to, to disrespect and not to honor them, even though they were created in the image of God. So Psalm 139, beginning of verse 13 and 14, it says, For you created my inmost being." You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This, right now, God's breaking off some lies and cultural understanding. Listen, you know, you think that everybody who comes into the church under, maybe understands these things, but we all come in at different places. We've come from different backgrounds. We've been enculturated in our educational system and throughout to, to, to dumb down what we naturally understand right and wrong and trying to uh, indoctrinate us, if you will. But the word of God comes as a sharp two-edged sword, right, piercing to, to the dividing asunder of bone and marrow, and, and, and it, it gets to the truth. And, and we have to be people committed to the truth. And here's the thing. When you're confronted with the truth, are you willing to stand up for it at a cost? Are we people that love the truth, right? Righteousness and, and justice, truth and mercy have met together in, in Jesus Christ. And it, there, are, there are times when we're faced in culture with people who disagree, but it's, the question is, will we at least stand for what's true? Will we stand for what's true? How many, if you were, if this was 1850, how many would be part of the abolitionist society? I wish we'd all raise our hands. I wish I would. I, I, you know, the abolitionist society was like, this is wrong. <laughs> we, we, we should end slavery. Now, there were many, many Christians and churches that would not partner with the abolitionists. Why? They were radicals. And they, people would take scriptures talking about, you know, Paul addressed certain cultural issues about slavery and how to conduct yourselves. But at the end, he always said, but if you can get free, get free. But he was trying to help people walk out within a culture that they were in. It, he, he didn't legitimize slavery. He didn't, you know, and, and that's why the early abolitionists were all evangelical Christians. Not all evangelical Christians were abolitionists, but the abolitionists were mainly evangelical Christians, but they were the far radical people. And, you know, today we look back and we say, oh, absolutely, I would, I would partner with them. But would you in a culture that was so, that wasn't the norm? In a church culture, that that wasn't the norm. You know, Abraham Lincoln in one of his speeches talked about how, how is it that we both pray to the same God, yet we're lining up on battlefields against each other and think we're doing God's will. We're challenged in culture. It's so important for us. I'm so excited. How many have signed up for our Bible reading plan? I am so excited that so many are. I see all of you commenting. I appreciate it. It just shows you're paying attention. Uh, <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Because 
Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It'll make you free. But you have to partner with the truth. I mean, when we do inner, inner healing, sozo classes, what, the key tool, you know, here's the shortcut, but you got to get there. What's the lie you're believing that's causing you to constantly trip up and stumble? And what does God say? What's the truth? And start to partner with the truth. You break any partnership or agreement you had with the lie, and you partner with the truth. And then freedom comes when you agree and partner with truth in your life, even though your background, your life experience, different things have, have um, you've grabbed onto a lie and it's helped you to cope and that's how you, you, that's a coping mechanism. We have to break agreement in order to get free. So even in culture, it's important that the word of God is the standard. It's the plumb line. So when we say righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, that doesn't change. He never changes. I remember having a conversation with the, this is many years ago before we started the church. I was an elder in a church in Brooklyn, and I was trying to counsel with somebody who wanted to leave his wife, and his justification was, God wants me happy. I was like, where did you read that? But no, these are the philosophies of men. This is a guy who was in church regularly. You know, I really believed he was a believer. I, I, I mean, to a certain extent. But, but he, he'd grabbed onto a lie. The lie was, God wants me happy. And therefore, I can justify, you know, breaking covenant. Which, you know, when we do marriages here, I, I kind of tell people, you can write some of your own vows. But I like... You know, I want to go back to some of the traditional, better or for worse, and sickness, sin, and health, richer or poorer, till death do us part. That's your covenant vow. Because it doesn't always go so great. Sometimes someone gets sick. Um, sometimes finances are tough. But what is your covenantal vow? Your covenantal vow is, I'm in this. So let's figure out how to make it work, not where's the door, I'm out of here. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. God doesn't change. He's made a way for us. Culture doesn't move God. Sanctity of life, Sunday, Martin Luther King Day, it's a recognition that justice is important. Justice for the unborn is important. Remember when I said love costs something, love costs God something? Because of Really, I think in, in, the, in the 60s, there was a real loosening of our sexual mores in society. Um, 
they called it the sexual revolution, but basically it was sex outside of marriage is okay. And that's still largely prevalent today. Unfortunately, I think it, it, it can be very much uh, in the church as well. It shouldn't be, but it happens. And uh, the rise in, in uh, unwed pregnancies leads without fail to a rise in abortions. Because people say, I'm not ready, I haven't finished school, I have these things I have to do. Love costs something. And when a man and a woman cause a pregnancy to happen, both are responsible, and it may cause, it may be great cost. But love costs something. Love costs something. Love is sacrificial. And we have to recognize that... Um, when we honor God and understand and take responsibility for our actions and not try to escape them, you know, God will partner with us in getting us where we need to go, even though it looks like, you know, it's, it's really becomes like child sacrifice. Like, uh, I'm sacrificing my child for reputation. I don't want anybody to know I was unwed for, uh, it's not a convenient time. I want to finish my education or I want to do all these things, my career, et cetera, et cetera. And so we sacrifice children for these things. That's child sacrifice. And it's, it's an abomination. The shedding of innocent blood, the seven things God hates, right? One of them was the shedding of innocent blood. And so we have to, we have to recognize that whether it's blood in the womb whether it's when we see things like what happened with George Floyd or Ahmed Arbery, these horrible things, like this is an injustice and we, we as the church need to respond accordingly, that that's injustice and we can't, we can't sit with it. And our, our voice should be heard. And, uh, but we have to also, you know, partner with what God's doing. Jesus came in to the earth. He was born of a woman, born of Mary. It was the immaculate conception. God overshadowed her. The power of the Most High came upon her, and what was conceived of her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So his life began at conception. And because his life began at conception, we recognize life from conception. In Genesis 4, 9 through 11, uh, it says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Did God not know where Abel was? It was a rhetorical question. He knew the answer. Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And then the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your, bro bro your brother's blood from your hand. The shedding of innocent blood brings a curse on the land. Um, we as the church are called to be salt and light. So when we stand up with pro-life organizations like Expect Hope, 
like these di different crisis pregnancy centers that we've supported and will continue to support, we're, trying to, we're taking a stand that we believe in life. We believe in adoption. Um, and that's our stand. I want to close by reading um, a portion of a speech by uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. How many know who she is? You know, I started to realize um, she gave this speech in 1994. And then I started looking out and saying, some of these people weren't even born. <laughs> Mother Teresa gave her life for service in Calcutta, India. She won the Nobel Peace Prize in like 1987. Her, her work in the poor and the lepers and the, the sick, the indigent in India was recognized worldwide. In, in uh, 1994, she was invited to speak at the National uh, Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. At the time, uh, President Clinton, Hillary Clinton, uh, were attending and all the dignitaries, um, and, and many of them uh, are, you know, don't, you know, supported abortion on demand. Um, and she gave a speech, and because of who she was, because she put on the garments of a servant and served the poorest of the poor, she attained a level of respect and honor that was accorded to very few others. You know, what did Jesus say the highest rank in the kingdom was? If you want to be the greatest, what did he say to be? Be servant of all. I mean, it, it, it's truly, and she was, she's an example. So she's standing before people whose beliefs are totally antithetical on the issue of life to what she did. And, and she gave this speech, and I just want to read a portion of it. But I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Because Jesus said, if you receive a little child, you receive me. So every abortion is a denial of receiving Jesus, is the neglect of receiving Jesus. It's really a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murdered by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? I'm just going to stop for a moment. If, if you're here and you've had an abortion, there is forgiveness in God. There's no condemnation. And I, I just want to let you know that there's, there's mercy and grace. There's mercy and grace. And he's, he's covered you and you're clean. <clears throat> it's, it's just so important that you understand that. But we also need to be salt and light in the culture, right? So we need to make sure that our minds aren't agreeing with things in the culture that are antithetical to God. So we're, we're changing that. But there's grace because we've all fallen way short. Uh, but God is for us. So how do we persuade women not to have an abortion? This is Mother Teresa speaking. As always, we must persuade her with love 
and remind ourselves that love means being willing to give until it hurts. Love means being willing to give until it hurts. Jesus gave even his life for us. So the mother who is thinking of abortion should be helped to love. That is to give until it hurts her plans, her free time, to respect the life of her child. For the child is the greatest gift of God to the family because they've been created to love and be loved. The father of that child, however, must also give until it hurts. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love but kills even her own child to solve her problems. And by abortion, the father is told that he doesn't have any responsibility at all for the child that he's brought into the world. That, so that the father is likely to put other women into the same trouble. So abortion just leads to more abortion. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love one another, but to use any violence to get what they want. This is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. God wants us to stand up for life, life for the preborn, life for people who don't look like us, okay? Life for those who are marginalized. You know, it, I find it interesting. In New York State, they passed a abortion law that says you can terminate a pregnancy right up until the moment the child is born. Right up until the very moment, nine months, as long as it's not out of the birth canal, because that's the definition, when it's out of the birth canal, uh, you can terminate the pregnancy. We also have, uh, you know, prenatal units where parents, if uh, they're having a difficult pregnancy and they, you know, baby starts coming prematurely at 24, 25 weeks, 40 weeks is the total gestational period for a human child. But at 24 weeks, it's just a little more than maybe halfway. Um, if, if there's a difficulty and the mother goes into labor and the parents want the child, they will do, they'll move heaven and earth to take the child, uh, you know, put them in these incubators and different things and to preserve the child. And, and, and up till I think 24, 25 weeks, they've had great success in keeping children alive. So we can keep children alive at 24, 25 weeks. And so what's the difference between us going to extraordinary lengths to keep a child alive premature at 24, 25 weeks or terminating a child at 39 and a half weeks? the choice of the parents. That's a scary thing. That, this is, it's just convenience. We're schizophrenic. And, uh, and, you know, God wants us to be people of the book, people of life. And so we have to be pro-life from womb all the way to tomb. We're not, we're not take, when, you know, we have to be people that recognize that life is sacred. The marital union is sacred. Uh, the marital covenant 
which is sealed in the consummation of a man and woman's coming together in, in sexual unity, okay, that's sacred before God. It's not, we, it's, it's not, we shouldn't take it lightly. You know, there's, uh, it's a blood covenant. Did you know that? It's a blood covenant. Do you know that when a, a, two virgins come together, a man and a woman, that there's a shedding of blood at, the, at, their, at their sexual union? Okay? It's, it's, it's a blood covenant that the two shall be, come one. We have so trivialized it that it, it doesn't matter. But, you know, it, it comes all the way back to that reality of commitment, fidelity, loyalty, <laughs> committing to one and, and going into covenant, you know, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, sickness or in health, till death do us part, I am committed to you. And when you have that commitment, then that creates the safe space for what? For us to bring children and family into the world because we're committed. Nothing's coming between us. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And that's, that's where the Lord is. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. I feel like it's a little bit somber message. <laughs> We can't be people that just go along with culture. We really have to understand there are certain things worth fighting for. There are certain things worth laying your life down for. Love looks like something. And if we, if, 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 if it's just, if, if we have a, a philosophy of God wants me happy and Happy means like I, I do what I, I get what I want. Like that's a misnomer. That's, a, that's just a lie that has deceived people. And, but that's the philosophy that comes in. Listen, I understand when people first get saved and they come in, there has to be a whole renewing of the mind. We have to like break off old patterns and say, all right, God, help me to align myself with your patterns. And we're all about helping people in that process. And I recognize we're all in different processes. But we got to start with understanding that the word of God is the plumb line. This is, this is, this is, this is what we measure ourselves against. And if our experience doesn't align with, um, with what the word says, we don't throw out the word and say, well, I guess my experience rules. <laughs> you know, if, my, if I believe in divine healing, but I've been pray I prayed for six people and no one got healed, you don't stop praying and believing for healing. You say, I've got to get my experience. God, help me to help my, my experience to match my theology. Our theology, what we understand about God through the word of God has to rule in trump. God's word is supreme. And if our experience isn't aligning to our uh, theology, then we don't change our theology. Are you with me? You don't change your theology because culture is different. You don't change your theology because you haven't experienced the fullness of what God has for you. You stand in faith, believing 
God. Have faith in God. With him, there's nothing is impossible. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're moving on hearts and minds here and over YouTube and the internet for all those who are hearing these words. God, I thank you that you have, you're causing courage to come into your people. God, I thank you that you're causing conviction to come into the hearts of your people. God, I thank you that we are not going to be blown and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine or philosophy of men, but we are going to be rooted and grounded, anchored in your word and in, in truth. Understand that your word is truth. God, I thank you for a baptism of love which casts out all fear. I thank you for even a word that Ogo gave uh, earlier that there, there's no fear because there's, there's, the scripture says there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. God, I thank you that as we walk in you, as we live and move and have our being in you, that we walk in a newness of life and, that has, and fear has no place in us. God, let us be people that are totally motivated by love. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.